All right, well, uh, on July 25th, 1978, uh, 44 years ago this week, Louise Joy Brown, the world's first test tube baby, was born into the world. I remember that very well. I don't know if you'll remember that, but uh, it was called uh, test tube baby. Now this process is now called, uh, conception outside the womb is called in vitro fertilization, IVF. Uh, the words in vitro actually mean in glass. That's where they get the term test tube from. Uh, so Louise Brown was born in Manchester, England, uh, 44 years ago now. And a couple years later, her parents had another child by in vitro fertilization. And so it was unique then, it was brand new, incredible new uh, technology, but now uh, IVF is considered mainstream uh, medical treatment for infertility and, and hundreds of thousands of children now have been born into the world, around the world through IVF. So that's just an incredible medical advance, isn't it? Uh, but there have been other amazing medical advances over the past 50 years when you think about it. Uh, doctors can replace many of our organs. If they're not working anymore, you can get a new kidney, you can get a new liver, you can even get a new heart uh, these days. Uh, it's incredible that they can do that. Uh, and we think about uh, advances in, in the field of antibiotics and vaccines, uh, that we don't die from things that killed people 50, 100 years ago. Uh, we don't even think about things like uh, dying from polio or influenza anymore because of these incredible medical advances. Uh, and doctors can keep people alive so much longer than they used to because of these amazing treatments that they have for heart disease and cancer, diabetes, other diseases. Uh, just incredible what doctors can now do. Uh, but with these advances in medical technologies come ethical questions, right? There are some very controversial medical procedures available uh, or soon to be available. One thing that's debated now is cloning. Uh, you know, one day it may be possible for a human being to be cloned. And so the question becomes not can they do it, but should they do it? That's the ethical question. Uh, and uh, what about eugenics? Uh, doctors may soon, and even in some cases, I believe they do have the technology to filter out the traits they don't want and add in the traits that they do want. But, but if they do that, are they playing God? Uh, should they do it, even if they can do it? Uh, and, and what about stem cell treatment, right? We all know about stem cell treatment and the, and the controversy surrounding it. Uh, we know that they can use uh, stem cells from aborted babies and they can uh, give health benefits as a result of that. And it's an ethical question, right? I know how we all feel about that here, but it's an ethical question. Can they do it? Yeah, they probably can, but should they do it? That's another question. Uh, so these are ethical and moral questions that they have to deal with. And even physician-assisted suicide, can they do it? Of course they can do it, but should they do it? That is another issue. So uh, uh, this is the question that, that, that we deal with, uh, doctors deal with in medical ethics all the time. Uh, so I've listened to uh, many uh, lectures by uh, our fabulous on-staff physician, Dick Vogt, who has talked about these things uh, in detail. And I have just uh, enjoyed and been uh, edified by everything he's had to say uh, on the topic, uh, because there are, there are lots of absolutes in, medic in medicine and medical ethics, but there are a lot of gray areas too that have to be worked out. And that leads us into what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, since we have freedom from the law, uh, how do we know what we can do and what we should do? Now, what's the difference between what we can do and what we should do? And so in Galatians chapter 5, uh, Paul was continuing to remind these Galatians of the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ. And, and Christians have the freedom from the law and from these man-made traditions that are, are so oppressive and are also impossible to keep. But 
Christian freedom is not absolute freedom, right? It's not freedom to do whatever we feel like doing. Uh, It's freedom not to sin. That's the freedom that we're talking about here. It's the freedom to live our lives making choices that that, uh, are, are beneficial to each other, that show that we love each other and that glorify God. Now, these choices were not available to us before we had the Holy Spirit. We were inclined to sin, and 99% of the times we would sin if the choice were ours. Uh, And we were often powerless against sin. But now that the Holy Spirit has come, we can live the way God wants us to, loving others and loving him. This freedom that we have, though, it comes with challenges, right? And the Judaizers, uh, who Paul was dealing with, would have argued to Paul, look, uh, without the law, these people are going to do whatever they want to do. They would say there's way too much gray area uh, when you take away the law from people. You can't allow them that kind of freedom. Well, fortunately for believers, we have two guardrails that will keep us on the path that God has for us and will keep our behavior in check. We have the Bible and we have the Holy Spirit. And so uh, in the Bible and the Holy Spirit, we have two uh, concrete things. The Bible we can read, the Holy Spirit can lead, and by following uh, those two, uh, we can stay on the path that God has for us. So exploring this freedom, often for us, the question isn't can we, uh, but it's should we? The same question we see in medical ethics sometimes. And, and the Bible tells us often in black and white. Uh, but when things aren't black and white, that's where we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit as he guides and directs our lives. And at Grace Redeemer, uh, our slogan is uh, to love God, love others, and help people follow Christ. And we got that right out of the, what, what is the, the Great Commission and, and the, the commission that Jesus gave, that, we, that the two greatest commandments are love God, love others. Uh, so if we do those things, we fulfill the law. And so today we're just going to be talking about what that looks like. What does it look like to love God and love others as we examine this passage together and talk about the freedom that we have in Christ? So the first thing that Paul would say is don't use your freedom as a license to sin. This is verses 13 to 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. So just like in the passage that we looked at last week, that began with Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, uh, which says, it is for freedom that you have set, been set free. Uh, Paul's reminding the Galatians of their freedom here. Now, when we talked about it last week, Paul was talking about freedom from being enslaved to the law. Don't lapse into slavery to the law. Don't do that. Uh, And here, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, is now don't use your freedom as a license to sin. So you can be too restricted by the law, but you can go the other way. The pendulum can take you too far where you just throw off all shackles and do whatever you want. Well, to be free, in Paul's way of thinking, meant that they could be saved by faith, uh, that's freedom from the law, uh, to be saved by faith and not through the law, and then the freedom to live their lives for Christ without the shackles of the law, not by keeping the rules, but by following the Holy Spirit. But the danger is people will go hog wild, right? People can go hog wild when you say there are no rules anymore. And for those of us who either went to college or sent kids off to college, uh, you know, this may be uh, relevant, right? We may understand a little bit better. Uh, We lived under our parents' rules or our kids lived under our rules. 
And then the question becomes, well, what happens when you send yourself or you send your kid off to college and they're no longer under mom and dad's roof, uh, dealing with mom and dad's rules? Uh, and what happens when they taste freedom from the rules for the first time? Well, I'll spare you the gory details in my case, but, but it didn't go so well. <laughs> didn't go so well for me being out from under my parents' rules. Uh, thankfully, as far as I know anyway, uh, my kids have avoided the pitfalls that, that I did not avoid. Uh, they handled their newfound freedom better than I did. Uh, so freedom is a dangerous thing, and Paul warned them about the danger of exercising this freedom. That's why he warned them. He says freedom from the law can be used as an opportunity to indulge the flesh, to take advantage of God's grace. And so uh, they might say, well, you know, if God has forgiven my sins, past, present, and future, why should I not just keep going on living in sin? Why shouldn't I live in sin if he's already forgiven these sins anyway? And Paul said, you're looking at it all wrong. Don't turn this freedom that you have into an opportunity to serve the flesh. Uh, that means that you haven't shown that you truly love God if you still are breaking the rules and living by uh, his, uh, living against what he commands. Uh, so we'll talk about that in a minute too, about what it means to follow the law uh, and why we still have to follow the law. But, but when Paul's talking about the flesh, Sometimes he uses the word literally. He means the literal body, the literal flesh. Other times he's talking about, using the, uh, talking about the flesh metaphorically, uh, meaning that, that sinful nature uh, that lives within us. Uh, and so that's what's going on here. In this passage, he's talking about serving the flesh. It means serving ourselves. It means serving our own sinful desires. And so Paul encouraged them to use their freedom to love one another, to serve one another, to love God. Uh, and Paul said the whole law is summed up in this statement in this passage in verse 14 uh, that is quoted from Leviticus chapter 18, verse 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if we are not doing that, if we're living just solely to serve ourselves, if we're living by the flesh uh, and according to the flesh, well, then we haven't truly understood the depths of our sin and the price that Jesus had to pay uh, to procure our salvation. Uh, and we have not either uh, appreciated the obligation that we have to live godly lives in gratitude for our salvation, not to earn our salvation, but to, out of gratitude for our salvation. So Jesus took on human flesh, uh, and he lived a, a life that was full of temptation, just the same temptations that you and I are subject to, and yet he never once sinned. And then he offered himself up uh, as the unblemished lamb of God, the, 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 the sacrifice that God demands for the penalty uh, for sin. And he died a horrible death on the cross in our place, paying the price to redeem our souls in the process. And so if we've received this great gift of salvation uh, and we love the one who, who paid the price so we could have it, should we not live the way our Savior demands? And of course we should, and that way of life uh, is to love others as he loved us uh, and the way we love ourselves. So Paul said, don't be enslaved to the law. Don't be enslaved to licentiousness, living however you want to. Instead, be enslaved to one another. But this idea of enslavement and, and, and keeping the law, but not all the law, raises another question. Uh, <clears throat> if we don't have to keep the law anymore, why do we have to do anything? What, what are these things that we still have to do? Why, why does Paul say here, loving one another fulfills the law? Well, it's because there are parts of the law that we still have to keep. God has a moral law that reflects his nature and character, and we have to keep that law. Remember, 
uh, God had morality and ethics long before the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, God has a nature. He has a character. He was very upset when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. He was very upset when Cain killed Abel. Uh, he regretted that he made mankind and he was going to wipe out Noah's generation in a flood. Uh, God has morals and ethics and he wants us to keep them. Uh, but the first five books of the Bible contain a whole bunch of other laws, rules, regulations, sacrificial laws, uh, ceremonial laws, procedural laws uh, that were not written on the tablets of stone. Uh, these first five books of the Bible are called the law. Um, and so uh, what happened when Jesus came was that he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled all the law. Uh, but that doesn't mean we're not under obligation to, to continue to keep God's moral law. We are under obligation to keep his moral law because that's what it means to love God and love others because we want to reflect the nature and character of God. And that's why Paul says, just like Jesus said before him, uh, the whole law is summed up by loving God and loving others. So obviously freedom doesn't mean that we have the freedom to kill our neighbor and covet his wife, right? We can't do that. We are living by the power of God according to the nature and character of God. But what happened to the Galatians was that they allowed the Judaizers to talk them into returning to the law, thinking that they had to keep the law in order to maintain their salvation and to, and to, <clears throat> to please God. And so what happens when everybody decides that they are going to keep the law uh, they'll keep it to varying degrees, right? And then people will look at each other and say, well, look, this one was circumcised, but this one's not circumcised. And this one keeps this measure of the law, but I keep this much of the law. And this person is, they do pretty well, but boy, I, I really do well, right? And, and this is what happens. We, we start to, to measure ourselves against the law and we measure others against the law or we measure other, others against our standards of what we think is the proper measure of the law to keep. And so that's why people end up biting and devouring one another because whenever you have a, a group of people, a church, for example, uh, that is uh, bent on legalism, they're all gonna be looking at each other, judging each other, uh, sniping at each other, uh, and lifting themselves up above the rest. That's what legalism's uh, natural result is. And so when we hold each other to these impossible levels uh, of, of legalism, uh, this, is the, this is the natural result. Uh, and the church gets torn apart. And that's what Paul's concern was here. And that's why grace ought to be the standard that we live by. We should always give grace. We should always understand that it's grace by, by which we're forgiven, and it's grace by which we can enjoy these relationships with each other, and it's grace that we should show to each other even when uh, we've been wronged. And we can't do that in our own power, right? Uh, in our natural state, uh, you and I are inclined uh, to, to be anything but gracious. We're, we're, we're inclined to uh, demand our rights, to seek retribution when our toes have been stepped on. That's what we do in our own natural ability. Uh, we are critical, we're jealous, we're envious, we're spiteful, we're competitive, we're gossipers, and we're judgmental. We are all these things and more. So how can we put these ugly qualities that naturally exist inside of us and truly love each other? Well, Paul's answer is to walk by the Holy Spirit. It's the only chance we have. The flesh wars against the Spirit. Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to each other in order that you in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. <clears throat> but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. 
Now, last week, we spent some time talking about sanctification, how we're trying to become more like Christ uh, through staying on the path that God has for us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that means avoiding legalism on the one side, avoiding licentiousness now on the other side. Because it's the Holy Spirit who prompts us to live the kind of life that God would have us live. He strengthens us and helps us not lapse back into legalism on the one hand or lapse into licentiousness on the other side. Uh, and sanctification, as we said, is a work of the Holy Spirit, but it's by our cooperation with him. So it's by choice uh, that we can become more like Jesus. And we can choose to live under the constraints of the law, which is why Paul said, don't do it. Choose not to live under the constraints of the law. And this week, as we learn in this passage, we can choose to live licentiously, but Paul says, don't do that either. Choose to live the way God would have you live. And so Paul reminds his readers here that, that it's up to you to live godly lives. Uh, since you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, live according to the Holy Spirit and don't uh, give in to the uh, desires of the flesh. So we know, uh, just through experience, you and I have lived life long enough to know that we have two natures as Christians, right? We have two natures. Uh, one of them is the sin nature that is inherited from Adam, and that's the flesh. Uh, and that's the, the, the part of us that, that wants to engage in sinful behaviors. But we also have a new nature that we received when we believed and Christ, uh, the Christ's Holy Spirit came to indwell us. Uh, as we talked about in Romans, uh, and we're talking about here in Galatians again, the spirit and the flesh are sworn enemies of each other, right? The, the, the flesh wants us to serve ourselves, uh, it, and the spirit, on the other hand, directs us to serve God and serve others. So uh, it's the Holy Spirit who keeps us on the path, who keeps us uh, from doing whatever we want. And in Romans, we talked about not using our liberty in a way that's going to cause a brother or sister to stumble, right? So, for example, yes, you can have a glass of wine. But if you're in the presence of somebody who uh, finds that that's a sinful thing and it really trips them up, or if they have a problem with alcohol, well, then don't have the glass of wine for their sake, right? For the sake of, 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 of their uh, betterment and, and so that they might not stumble. So uh, the Holy Spirit gives us the discernment of what to do and when to do it, when to exercise freedom and when to curb it for the benefit of others. Uh, like I said in the intro, uh, it's not a question of, of can we, it's a question of should we? Because there are gray areas in life, right? And so when we walk by the Spirit, uh, he will give us the answer. And Paul's point is that if we're following the Spirit, he will tell us if we can do something, even though it's okay in ordinary circumstances, that we do something. Uh, again, it, it's a can and should question. So the most important thing, though, to remember is that whatever we do, it should be because we love God and we love others. And it's the Holy Spirit that empowers this lifestyle. Now, Paul is talking about walking by the Spirit, right? And that may seem like a, a strange word. It, maybe it should be living by the Spirit, but it actually is the word walk in the Greek. It means walk by the Spirit. And walking implies, uh, to a certain degree, continuous action, right? You don't walk one step. You walk a bunch of steps to wherever you're going. You're continually moving along uh, this, this progression uh, of spiritual growth. And that's what Paul is asking us to do. And to do that, we have to abide in the Spirit. We have to remain in the Holy Spirit. And walking also impri implies 
progress, right? The more we walk, the closer we'll get to a destination. Uh, and so for us, the more we walk by the Spirit, the more we will walk by the Spirit, and the more we will look like Christ as we learn to hear, trust, and obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one who helps us to guide us and control our freedom. So Christians don't need the law to regulate our behavior because we have the Holy Spirit living in us and uh, prompting us for what to do. So from this discussion about uh, how Christians are to walk by the Spirit, Paul talked about now uh, specific deeds that are prohibited because they are against the nature and character of God. And there are no gray areas here in this list of sins that we're about to talk about. Uh, these are in black and white here. Uh, and before the coming of the Holy Spirit, we were enslaved to most or if not all of them. So let's read them and then we'll discuss. Uh, so the deeds of the flesh, verses 19 to 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's a pretty good laundry list of sins uh, we're talking about right there. Uh, most commentators have observed that this sin list can be broken down into four categories. Uh, so like this, the first category are the sexual sins. So sexual immorality, impurity, and indecent behavior. Uh, sexual immorality translates the Greek word porneia, uh, which is a, a general word. Uh, it's also uh, sometimes translated as fornication, uh, and that includes all forms of sexual relations outside of biblical marriage. So homosexuality, premarital sex, adultery, incest, prostitution, pornography, and the like, all are included in this definition of porneia. Impurity means moral uncleanness in thought, word, or deed. And this uncleanness comes from uh, the results of sexual sin, how it defiles us and how it separates us from God. Uh, debauchery or indecent behavior uh, in some versions uh, means living with no limits at all on our behavior, uh, just living however we want, either sexual or otherwise. And so God is very clear that when we explore our sexuality outside of marriage, it's sin. Whenever we join our bodies to someone else, uh, we become one with them. And there's only one situation where God says that's okay, and that's within the bonds of a man and woman joined in biblical marriage. So those are the sexual sins. Now, the next set of sins are religious sins. Idolatry is the worship of pagan gods. Uh, most pagan worship, of course, included this ritual uh, engagement with temple prostitutes. So in addition to the worshiping of other gods, they're also engaged in sexual immorality and defiling themselves and corrupting their own bodies. And witchcraft is another religious sin uh, that Paul listed here. The Greek word is the word pharmakia. Uh, this is the word where we get pharmacy from. Uh, they would mix drugs and herbs and various other things to create hallucinations. Uh, and they use these hallucinations to be uh, engaged in the occult, uh, dealing with things like black magic or, or uh, working uh, in demonic control. Uh, these are the things that are meant in witchcraft. <clears throat> the next set of sin, sins are these societal sins, right? Hostilities. Dry, uh, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, uh, factions, envy. Uh, what these all have in common is that they are the result of, of loving ourselves and, and serving ourselves over others. 
Uh, Jesus spoke about some of these in the Sermon on the Mount. There he was saying, if you even think these thoughts, you're sinning. And here, uh, Paul says that, that these deeds are actually being executed in the flesh. And so they are quite sinful because they've moved even beyond thoughts, even to deeds. And so when we're serving ourselves, when we're serving our selfish ambitions and desires, we destroy relationships. That's what happens when we serve ourselves over others. These last two sins are related to alcohol. Uh, drinking is not forbidden in the Bible, but drunkenness is. So we are not to allow uh, drunkenness, uh, alcohol, to overcome our senses. And the reason for that is because we make really bad decisions when we get drunk. And carousing is one of those really bad decisions, which essentially means you're going out, uh, raising trouble, uh, and often associated with orgies in the New Testament. And so this is quite a sweeping list of sins, right? And, and, and the amazing thing is that this is not even an all-inclusive list of sins. There are many other sins that could have been mentioned here. And that's why Paul ended uh, this verse with, and things like these, so that there are more of these. You, you can't just look at these lists of sins and say, well, I'm not really doing any of those and think you're okay, even though you know you're doing five or ten other sins that you shouldn't be doing. Uh, so Paul says that those who, who practice these sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to practice these things? How much, how much engaging them is actually practicing them, right? Is it lapsing into sin? You've, you've committed one sin, it was an accident, and it was once, and we repented of it and moved on? Or is it somebody who is living a lifestyle that, that, that shows that, they are, uh, that, they, that this behavior is, is part of who they are? Well, obviously, when, when you're practicing something, that means that it's, it's habitual, it's part of your lifestyle. And if somebody is habitually engaging in these kinds of sins, it really is fair to ask whether they're truly saved. Uh, if you look at somebody who's engaged in sexual immorality uh, and they profess to be Christians, uh, you know, how can you be having an illicit affair uh, with your secretary and claim to be a Christian at the same time, right? There's a problem there, there's an incongruence there, and it's fair to ask the question if they're truly saved. Now, it's true that the Holy Spirit doesn't convict everybody of the same sin to the same degree at the same time. Uh, sometimes he'll convict us of one sin, help us work on that, and then convict us of another sin, and that's how the process goes. But for us, uh, maturing believers in Jesus Christ, we should want to kill all sin. All sin in our lives should offend us and should cause us deep regret. Uh, and if it doesn't affect us, even you and I in the body, it's fair to question our own salvation or if we've drifted uh, from God. Uh, so it's fair to question that. Uh, but if we're listening to the Holy Spirit and, and we're following his leading, uh, then we should never fall into the practice of, of these kinds of sins, even if we should uh, happen to stumble at some occasion uh, every now and then. Uh, we will not become trapped in a lifestyle of sin. Uh, what we need to be doing is to be producing the fruit of the Spirit, which is uh, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. <clears throat> so the deeds of the flesh are produced by people without the Spirit and uh, who or well, produced by people who either don't have the Spirit or people with the Spirit who are ignoring the promptings of the Spirit and they are apostatizing, they're falling away. Uh, and so that can happen too. 
but sinful human beings receive all the blame, right, for sin. It's our fault when we sin. We can't blame anybody else. We can't say God did it. Can't say the devil did it. It's our fault. Now, there may be other factors involved. You want to blame somebody else. Just own your part of it, right? Own your part of sin. A sin is our fault, and it's our responsibility, and we are due the consequences for our actions. Now, on the other hand, when the Holy Spirit does his work for us, we don't get any credit for that, right? We, get, we take the blame, but we don't take the credit. The Holy Spirit does the work through us, and it's to his glory uh, that, that he does the work. And so the fruit of the Spirit uh, is something that, that the Holy Spirit works through us, uh, in us, uh, not something that we do. That's why Paul never boasted about these things. He said it was God working through me. And the reason why Paul is so adamant about not having to keep the law is because you cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit through keeping of the law. That's just a rigid code of do's and don'ts. The fruit of the Spirit is produced by the Holy Spirit, God himself working through you to produce something, not just to keep the law, but actually to produce something uh, out of the Holy Spirit's work through us. So only by the Holy Spirit can we develop these characteristics that Paul spoke of in these verses. <clears throat> now, before we look at this list of uh, virtues, of qualities, uh, that somebody who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ should develop, I, I just want to point out that the fruit of the Spirit is singular, right? It's not plural. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And the point of that is that these nine qualities are not like a buffet where we can go down and choose the qualities that we think we want to improve in and leave the rest, right? We are to improve in all of these qualities and more. Uh, it's not something where we just get to pick and choose. So you can't say, you know, I'm pretty good at love and joy, but you know, don't talk to me about patience and self-control. That, that's not me. I'm not a patient person. I have no self-control. No, that's not how we ought to be. As Christians, we need to improve in all of these things. We need to show spiritual growth in all of these things because these qualities describe the whole of a person who has surrendered to Jesus Christ, who has the indwelling Holy Spirit, and who uh, is uh, showing spiritual growth in all of these areas. So to pick one, if we're no more patient now uh, than we were when we were first saved, there's a problem there. We, we, we ought to be developing in all nine and more of these qualities of the Holy Spirit. And I pick patience because that happens to be mine, uh, the one that I would like to develop more of. Uh, so uh, if we are fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit, uh, we ought to be developing in all of these qualities. Now, we may not develop in all of these qualities at the same rate. Uh, we may, you know, go faster on, on love, joy, and peace, and, and we may have trouble with patience uh, and self-control. Uh, but we should be able to look back over the last year, two years, five years, and say, uh, I'm not where I want to be yet, but I am a more patient person than I was back then. All right, so we need to develop all of these fruits, not just pick and choose. So again, these nine qualities can be broken down into three categories, our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and our relationship with ourselves. Now, that's not to say that there's not overlap. There certainly is overlap. Uh, but generally, love, joy, and peace have to do with our relationship to God. They find root in our relationship with God. We, we love others because God first loved us. And because we love God, we want to love others. And because that's true, because God loves us, we should have joy no matter what our circumstances. So whatever we're experiencing, uh, we try to be joyful. We try to say, uh, Lord, I'd prefer not to have this, but I have joy because I know where I'm going to spend my eternity. 
And because we have this love, because we have this joy, we also ought to have peace, knowing that this world is off the rails, right? I mean, it's safe to say that this world is in a state of chaos right now. But we can have a sense of peace as Christians because no matter what happens in this world, we know where we're gonna spend eternity. And this life is just a blip. Uh, and we, most of us are on the back end of it, right? And so uh, it's not gonna be too long before we're in glory for all eternity and we won't have to worry about all the chaos that's in the world right now. So uh, these qualities, love, joy, peace, uh, these are all qualities that are produced as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Uh, understanding that whatever life throws at us, we're looking at, at life from a heavenly perspective. How, how does God see me? How do I see God? And if we're looking at things vertically, we won't be so caught up in the horizontal of what's going on in life. And our love, joy, and peace will become more unshakable as we go. These next three qualities are about our relationship with others. Patience uh, is, is uh, remaining tranquil when you're provoked. Uh, it's, it's not becoming frustrated and lashing out every time uh, somebody you know, cuts you off while you're driving or you know, says something that offends you. Uh, we don't have to lash out every time. A kindness is just acting towards others as Jesus acted toward us, right? When Jesus lived his life, he was kind to everybody, even the most deplorable ones of all society, right? The lepers, the outcasts, uh, Jesus loved them all and was kind to them all. So uh, for us, a simple word of encouragement, uh, a smile, a hug, uh, being generous to somebody in need, these are all just simple acts of kindness that go a long way toward leaving people a whole lot better than how you found them. And goodness is just this moral uprightness, just doing what is right, what is ethically right, what people know to be right. And that can be hard sometimes because sometimes doing what is right is disadvantageous to us personally, right? But we do what's right anyway. We do what is good. So those are the, uh, about relationship with others. And then these final three uh, qualities about ourselves. The Holy Spirit produces this faithfulness in us as we continue to allow God to work in our lives. And then faith produces more faith. And as we exercise faith, it produces more faith. So the more we're faithful, the greater faith we will have. Uh, gentleness is this quality that uh, Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, translated meekness there. It's, it's not retaliating. It's not demanding our rights every time we've been wronged. And then self-control is the discipline of the Holy Spirit to make godly choices, to, to act according to the ways the Spirit would have us act. Uh, before we had the Holy Spirit and before we had the self-control that he uh, allows us, uh, we would get away, we, what, what we would do is we, we, would, we would live according to whatever we thought we could get away with, right? If we could get away with it, then, then it was okay. Or we have a fallen moral compass that says, well, I think this is okay, but God doesn't think that's okay. So self-control is completely different when we have the Holy Spirit and we know what it is that he wants. Now we can resist all these sins that used to enslave us. So the question becomes, how do we produce this fruit of the Spirit? And that's verses 24 to 26. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So those who have received 
Jesus and believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, uh, we have the Holy Spirit. We've repented of our sins and we've determined that we will no longer be slaves to sin as, as uh, we formerly were before we had the Holy Spirit. We've dedicated our lives to Christ and this is what it means to crucify our flesh. In verse 24, we're not going to serve our flesh anymore. We're going to kill it. But verse 25 shows that the flesh and the spirit will always be at war. That's why every minute of the day we have to continue to choose to live by the spirit. And the battle there is in the mind, right? It's in the heart. It's, it's the Holy Spirit working through us as we, as we it's almost like the, 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 the bad angel on the one shoulder and the good angel on the other shoulder, right? Telling you what to do and they're fighting uh, and your mind is the battlefield. The flesh is always going to be there, right? Uh, it's always going to be there. Uh, and it demands that we feed it whatever, we, whatever it wants. But the problem with that is the more we feed it, the more hungry it becomes. It's insatiable. We will never satisfy the flesh. And so rather we should follow the spirit. It's the spirit who gives us life. And therefore we follow him if we want to defeat the flesh. And the evidence that we are following the Spirit includes, uh, verse 26, not being boastful, not challenging each other, not envying one another. And this is just a partial list, obviously, but if we brag, uh, that it shows that we're taking credit for what God has done. And if we're challenging each other, insisting on our own way all the time, then we're showing that we haven't yielded to the Spirit. Uh, so evidence of growth, spiritual growth, is humility and living in peace with each other. So... All right, now over the last two weeks, we've talked about uh, how spiritual growth uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit can happen if we tune into him and we learn to listen to him. And so now let's just talk about some applications for this week, uh, what we need to do. And the first thing we need to do is we need to develop a battle plan because we have two goals here. We need to, one, crucify the flesh, and two, walk by the Spirit. Now, unfortunately, Every time we kill the flesh, it comes back to life, right? It's like Freddy Krueger. It never dies. And, and so we're in this position where every time the sin, the, the, we kill the flesh, it, it comes up again and it says, well, no, feed me, feed me, feed me. And we have to kill it all over again. And so we do this by, by refusing the flesh and by obeying the spirit. So uh, if any of those sins that we talked about before are a struggle for you, uh, remember, these are not gray areas. These are black and white. God says, don't do these things. And so we have to pray for the strength to resist the temptation to engage in these things. Uh, if, if sexual immorality or impurity or indecent behavior is our issue, we have to pray against that. We have to have a plan. And the more we pray and the more we say no to the flesh uh, and yes to the spirit, the stronger we'll become. So for us, a battle plan might include praying daily against that particular temptation, whatever it is. I pray that he would take away the allure of that temptation from us. Uh, and and that, that's good. Prayer is good. But, but we may need to do more. We may need to, to take uh, something and put it in its place, right? So like, let's say pornography is an issue for you. If you're having a trouble with that, uh, the computer or the phone, your phone may call to you and say, come, come, come. And you may feel that draw in your heart. If gluttony is a problem for you, the refrigerator may be your problem, right? It's calling to you. There's chocolate cake inside. Come, eat. Uh, so 
when these things happen, when we're facing these kinds of temptations, we need to put something else in its place. So if you feel that temptation, get up, go for a walk, uh, read the Bible, sit down in prayer, uh, call a friend, do something to distract you, to get you off the path that this flesh is drawing you toward to engage in this sin. Uh, And so we have to distract yourself from it. Rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to help you resist. So we need a battle plan to help us with what not to do uh, and with not doing the things that we shouldn't do. So that's the negative side. But we also need to develop these fruits of the Spirit so we'll continue to live in a positive way. And so the way to do that is to trust the Holy Spirit to lead and to help us do love and good works. So we crucify the flesh by walking in the Spirit. And every time we obey the Spirit, we drive another nail into the coffin of the flesh. And that's a good thing. Uh, So we're seeking to develop this fruit of the Spirit. And when we look at these nine qualities, we should all look at them and we should say, where do I need strengthening here? Which one of these am I really weak in? And ask God to help, and he will send us opportunities to develop the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I'm always reluctant to ask for opportunities to develop my patience, because I know what that's going to mean. But this is what we need to do. We need to ask God to help. We need to grow in our relationship to God, uh, to develop these qualities, to do good to others, not for salvation, but out of gratitude for salvation. And with it, we want to increase our faithfulness and our spiritual growth. And your walk is going to look different from mine. Your issues are different than mine. Uh, it's all the same. We, we all have issues, but they're all different. And so your prayer life with the Holy Spirit, helping you discern what it is that you need to do, is going to look different th- from, from the way I ask. But trust the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you, and he will prove faithful to do it. So in the beginning, I started talking about how there's these gray areas in medical ethics, and there are, uh, and there are gray areas in our Christian walk too. In medical ethics, uh, physics, uh, physicians have relied on codes and, and committees to decide courses of action all the way back since the Hippocratic Oath. And these issues that they deal with are really difficult, and there are often no easy answers, but they work through them uh, using their, their codes and their morality, and, and hopefully for, uh, for a lot of doctors, their Christian faith to help them work through these issues. Uh, and we have the same issue as, as Christians. We have to decide what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. Uh, but choosing to kill the flesh day by day is really hard. But thankfully, thank God, we have the Holy Spirit, and by his power, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, uh, lives within us so we can trust him to help us put to death the flesh so that we can continue to follow his lead and produce these fruits of the Spirit. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, Lord, it's a, it, it, it's a, it's a tough walk, uh, we would say. Uh, Lord, it is, it is hard because the spirit and the flesh are at war with each other. And our flesh uh, wants what it wants, and we have to battle this every day. And we are just so thankful, Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit uh, who indwells us and who gives us the ability to uh, obey the, the things that you would have us obey, Lord, and to put to death these deeds of the flesh, Lord. And I just pray that as we go from here today, I will take Paul's words seriously and and we'll really examine ourselves uh, and see where we need to put some things to death, Lord, and where we need to develop qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, because uh, we've been saved and now it's about spiritual growth and we want to look more like Christ every day. And I pray that you'll use these words uh, to help us do it, Lord. We pray in Christ's precious name. Amen.